Welcome to the Lunch Break Bible Study. 20 minutes so that I can get you in the Word and get you on your way. 20 minutes so that you can study the Scriptures if the only time you have today is just on your lunch break. Today we're continuing with the Gospel of Mark here in Mark chapter 5. Jesus has just healed a man who had many demons. So this is kind of a famous healing, the cleansing of the demoniac. The man had uh, demons in him. He asked the demon, what is your name? And the demon replied, legion, for we are many. Jesus was in a Gentile city at this time, and the Gentiles there, uh, there's a sharp contrast between when the Gentiles who don't believe in Jesus, who don't have uh, faith in him, when they see him exert his power and authority over, over the demons that had possessed this man, versus what had happened when the disciples saw power and authority. And it, and it revolves around this one word, this word fear. They were afraid. Now, this word to be afraid in the scripture has two real meanings, and one of them is to actually be scared of someone or something because you believe that they are dangerous to you. But the other fear is the kind of fear that the Psalms talk about when you have the fear of the Lord. And you might have heard the proverb, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's not that we are terrified of God, although he could be terrifying as the people at Mount Sinai saw. We're not terrified of God, but we are in awe of him. We, are, uh, we address him with reverence because of who he is. And with the disciples, when they saw Jesus calm the storm, they were afraid. But it's that fear of awe and reverence because they ask, who is this that can even calm the storm with his words? And the other people in the land of the Gerasenes, they were afraid of Jesus, but in that other sense. The disciples wanted to get near to Jesus. The Gerasenes wanted to get Jesus away from them. So they sent Jesus away after they saw his power and what he could do. So now we're coming into chapter 6, and, and what Mark is really good at is having is, is kind of playing on, on two episodes. So you have the disciples in the, in the boat in the storm and the people, the garrisons. And now you're going to have another episode that kind of links itself to those other two things in a different way entirely. And it's the episode concerning, uh, it's kind of a two-parter. It's concerning Jairus. Uh, a ruler of a synagogue, and it's also concerning another woman who is uh, who has a medical issue and and can't do anything about it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're beginning in chapter five, uh, verse twenty-one, I believe. Yeah, chapter five, verse twenty-one. When Jesus had crossed again over by boat to the other side, so he's in the boat and he's going back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. When he gets back to the to the Jewish side of the lake, one of the synagogue rulers there comes and, and begs him for his help. He falls at Jesus' feet, and he pleads earnestly with Jesus, you know, my little girl is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now, in terms of who this Jairus is, it just says this one thing. He's a ruler of the synagogue, but I want you to get an idea of what we're talking about here. We have to talk about the importance of a synagogue to the local Jewish population. Because remember, Sabbath observation, remember, they, they, they worship on Saturday, the, the last day of the week. God had set aside that seventh day, the final day, as a day of rest, and uh, he consecrated it, uh, he consecrated it <laughs> as a day of hearing the word of the Lord. And this is how the local Jewish people would do it. They would gather at the local synagogue. And it was a necessity for them. They, they had to be there. 
It was the whole community gathering once per week. So you can imagine there's more than just religious importance to it. Not that religion was secondary, it was its primary focus. But their whole lives, their community was centered around the gathering of all the people every week in this one place. The same way that you have friends and family that gather in your local church, right? That, that serves that sort of that same purpose, but, but ramped up ramped up way high because remember these are these are people who don't travel long distances and they live near their families and and they see each other every week it really serves as a focus for the community with with benefits that go far beyond what we would just think of as merely religious so so Jairus being a ruler of the synagogue means he's a very well respected person in the community but he comes to Jesus and he falls at Jesus's feet and he begs him so Jesus goes with him in verse 24, and a large crowd follows and, and presses around him. Remember, this is Mark's gospel. The crowds are, you remember, he has to get out into a boat on the lake because the people are pressed around him so hard. Everywhere he's going, his family can't even get into the house where he is because the crowds are always pressing around him. And a woman who was there in this town, and it says that she had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So I want two things to notice about this woman. Remember, we're going to put Jairus aside on the back burner for a second because Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. And a woman who is there who, who shows up and it says that she's been bleeding for 12 years. That means that she's had some sort of, some sort of uh, uh, wound in her body or on her skin or something like that for 12 years it has bothered her and you can imagine uh you know with with the they don't have modern antibiotics they don't have modern medicine you can imagine the suffering that this poor woman is going through but it's not just a suffering of body because remember according to leviticus chapter 15 to have a discharge like this from your body whether you're a man or a woman it made you unclean and it made life really really difficult for you so i want to look back at leviticus chapter 15 because this is of course the levitical law this is the ceremonial law god is talking to his people about standards of cleanness and uncleanness and leviticus chapter 15 the lord speaks to moses and aaron and he says, speak to the people of Israel, say to them, when you have, when someone has a discharge from their body, this is an uncleanness. And then beginning in verse 4, it talks about how difficult life would be for this woman if she is living according to the law of God's people. It says, every bed on which the one with the discharge lies will be unclean, and everything they sit on is unclean. Anyone who touches the bed you ha that person has to wash their clothes and, and take a bath, and they will be unclean until the evening. Anyone who sits on the chair with the same person, anyone whom the one with the discharge touches without having rinsed his hands in water, right? So the, the unclean one has to wash their hands. And if they didn't do that before they touched you, right, you have to bathe and wash your clothes and you'll be unclean until evening. If you have a vessel like a clay jar that the one that who is bleeding touches, it has to be broken and every wooden vessel has to be rinsed in water. So you can you can imagine how difficult this woman's life is. And she's been doing this and living like this for 12 years. Her whole family, everybody that knows her. So you can imagine she has spent when it says she spent everything she had on doctors, there's an urgency to this because she needs to get better. So when we see this woman and we contrast her against and we contrast her against Jairus, with Jairus you have a well-respected person in the community, 
Not to say that the woman with the, with the discharge is not well-respected. She may be very deeply loved by many people. We don't know that. But what I'm saying is, is that Jairus would be welcome in anyone's home. Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. He's important in the community. Anybody would welcome Jairus into their home. They would be happy to have him there. On the other hand, you have this woman who suffers from this uncleanness. She could not welcome anyone into her own home without causing great problems for them. So you see sort of the, the contrast between these two people, but both of them come with the same request. They both come desperate for Jesus' help. They both need healing. It says in verse 26, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Now in verse 27, it says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Now, she does this, and in verse 29, it says, Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, so he turned to the crowd and he says, Who touched my clothes? You know, notice the woman that, notice that the woman had felt Jesus' power had achieved something, and that Jesus felt power leaving his body. But then it, this is the one of the most puzzling things in Mark's gospel. It's almost as if Jesus has no control over his own power, as if he doesn't know what is happening, which is very, very interesting, very puzzling. The disciples then, of course, they don't understand anything, because at this point in Mark's gospel, you should know that the disciples never understand anything that Jesus is doing. So the disciples asked him, you know, they, they say, Jesus, there's people all over the place. The crowd, we can't even walk through this crowd. It's so busy. We can't get through here. And you're asking who touched you? Everybody's touching you. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it because Jesus knows that something was different about this woman. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the truth. So two things. First, Jesus really wanted to know who had touched him. Right? This gets at the true humanity of Jesus in his state of what we call the state of humiliation. Um, not that Jesus is embarrassed all the time the way we use a humiliation, but the fact that Jesus became humble. He took on our flesh and took on the limitations of our flesh. He veiled his majesty, his glory, and his power to the point that something would happen and he honestly would not know who had touched him. He does this for our sake, right, so that he could glorify us, right? So that's that's sort of a, a foretaste of the feast to come uh, later on. But for here, the other thing that, that we want to notice is that word fear again. This woman comes to Jesus, and Jesus is asking this question, and she comes to him trembling with fear, Right now, what kind of fear does she have? Does she have the fear like the, the Gerasenes that had seen Jesus cast the demons into that herd of pigs and were afraid of Jesus and wanted him to get out of there? Or does she have the fear like the disciples do, seeing Jesus and his immense power, right, which something impossible seems so simple for him? How is she going to be afraid? How is she going to fear? And it's obvious that she fears like the disciples fear. It's a sense of awe and insignificance with respect to Jesus, like the fear of the Lord. So she tells him the whole truth. Right? She tells him what is going on, not only what she did, but the desires of her heart and what has happened to her. Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. 
Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, this is one of those places where there's a lot of potential for misunderstanding, okay? So on the surface, if we just cherry-pick this verse out and we don't pay close attention to what's happening in the context, we can get some funny ideas, right? And we get ideas like, well, if I have faith like this woman, the Lord will heal me without him actually uh, exerting his will to do it, right? Or if the Lord does not heal me, then I must not have enough faith, right? You get very funny ideas if you just kind of cherry-pick this verse out of there and don't pay attention to what's going on in total. Notice the, the two things that Jesus says to her. First, he says that her faith has healed her. But Mark just told us that Jesus felt power leave him. So it's the power of Jesus that provides the healing from her physical ailment. So what is Jesus talking about when he says that the, about healing that has been provided by her faith? So that's one question we have to answer. And the second thing we see is that Jesus tells her to go in peace and be freed from her suffering. But she had already been freed, right? She could have just walked away healed. So what is the peace that Jesus is giving her here? And the freedom from her suffering, if not the suffering under her doctors? Just this, that the uncleanness associated with her disease is gone. She is restored to full communion with her family and community and religious life because of her faith in Jesus. That's what Jesus means when he says your faith has healed you. She's already been healed by the power of Jesus. We know that from Mark's gospel. So Jesus has to be talking about some other healing. And it's that. It's that healing of restoration. It's that, it's that restoring to the community life. And the same thing is true for you. The miracle of faith that the Holy Spirit has given you that allows you to believe in Jesus, right? This is what St. Paul says, right? It is by grace you have been saved through faith not by works, lest anyone should boast. And even this faith is a gift of God. The miracle of faith that the Holy Spirit has given you serves the same function, to restore you, despite of everything in the past, to full communion with God and with the people of God. There is no uncleanness left in you. Now, verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. You remember him? Okay, so we're going to bring him back into the forefront. So we've, we've dealt with the woman with the hemorrhage, and we're going to bring Jairus back. And it says that your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Remember how I said Mark likes to take two episodes and have a common theme sort of run through them? So we've had this theme of fear running through these three episodes. And then here's another one. Here's something else that, that a thread that weaves through all three of these instances is this question, why bother the teacher? Because this captures the essence of what had been happening in this section of Mark's gospel. A sense of hopelessness against an insurmountable problem. So remember back in chapter 4, the disciples are helpless in the face of a storm. The demon-possessed man is unable to be restrained even by shackle and chain. The woman could not be healed by any doctor after 12 years. And now this girl, right, this girl has died. In all four of these instances, you have Jesus up against something that is impossible to fix. Something that no one can help anyone with. But to all of them, Jesus shows his power over disasters, over demons, over diseases, and finally over death. And this reflects the truth that St. Paul teaches us later in the book of Romans. Because in Romans, St. Paul says, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, 
nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus here in Mark's gospel is displaying his fullness of his power over all of the things in this world that vex us and trouble us, even death itself. That's who Jesus is. The disciples ask, who is this? Jesus then sets about proving who he is, the one who has authority and power over all these things. Verse 36, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, he told Jairus, hey, look, don't be afraid. Believe in me. Then he takes with him Peter, James, and John. Right, So you have this sort of inner circle of disciples. These are three of the four who... Uh, who follow him from the beginning. Andrew, Peter's brother, is not with them for this, and, and I don't know why, but you have this sort of inner circle of disciples. They come into the home of Jairus, and Jesus sees uh, everybody is sort of freaking out, right? People are crying, they're uh, lamenting, they're mourning. Why? Because this little girl has died, and, and that is a tragic, tragic event in the life of a family. Jesus, verse 39, he goes in and, and he says, why are you acting this way? Right? This child is not dead, but asleep. Very much like with the, with the disciples, very much like when the disciples had, had woken Jesus up and said, Lord, don't you afraid, don't, aren't you afraid that we're going to perish? Don't you know that we're perishing here? Jesus says, you have little faith, <laughs> as if to say, what did you think was going to happen? Do you think I was just going to let this go? The same thing, he comes to this household. Do you think, did you think I was just going to let this go? I told you I would help. I came with you to do something. Did you think I was just, nothing was going to happen here? Verse 40, but they laugh at him. They think he's crazy. They think he's nuts. What are you going to do, Jesus? She's dead. It's over now. He puts all of them out. He kicks them all, and then he takes the child's father and mother and the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they go into the, into the room where the child was, and he takes her by the hand. Peter, James, John, father and mother, that's all that gets to see this. Only certain ones, the ones with faith, will see the salvation of God. And the same way that he had healed Peter's mother-in-law from her fever is the same way he heals this little girl. He takes her by the hand and he says to her, Talitha kum. It means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl stands up and walks around and she is 12 years old. The same number of years as the woman with the hemorrhage had been suffering. Now, what did that mean? What does that mean? I, I don't know. Uh, is it a coincidence? It's one of these kind of happy coincidences in Mark. I, I'm not sure, but I feel like it's significant that, that there's something going on there. At this, it says they were completely amazed. Completely amazed. It's in the King James Version. I love this. It's astonished with a great astonishment. The one who was mocked and ridiculed has authority over death, and those who see it are amazed and astonished. Now, this is foreshadowing the resurrection of Jesus himself, who was mocked and ridiculed and yet showed his power over death to the astonishment of his believers. Right, so again, in Mark's gospel, this is the second time that I've noticed that we have sort of a little glimpse of that resurrection, that foreshadowing of what is to come. And then verse 43, Jesus gives strict orders, don't tell anybody. <laughs> don't tell anybody about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. And how, how could they keep this a secret? How could they not tell anyone about this? So differently from how Jesus had been behaving uh, with the uh, Gerasene demoniac, um, he's trying to keep a lid back. Again, now he's, he told the Gerasene demoniac to go out and, uh, and tell everybody what had happened to him, but now he's back to his normal way of operating. 
He's keeping a lid on this, and I, um, I imagine the difference is that the Gerasene demoniac is living in a place of unbelievers, people who want nothing to do with Jesus. But here you have Jesus going back into the land of God's people, and he is trying to stay in control of what is happening because he has his mission that he's not finished with yet. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he's going to get there, but that's going to be on his own time. All right, and I think that's where we're going to end today, uh, fastest 20 minutes in podcasting. This is Pastor Frank. Like I said, um, I wanted to give a shout-out to my friend Melissa. Uh, Melissa recommended the Lunch Break Bible Study on Facebook. Um, she says this, wonderful podcast, great listen. I really like that they are short, so I can actually finish an episode in one sitting. Pastor Frank is a great speaker and so knowledgeable about the Bible. He does a great job explaining everything. Melissa, that is very kind of you. I really appreciate those kind words. And, and uh, keep, those, keep those coming. I have a friend who switched podcast providers so that he could provide a rating for me. That, that kind of boosts my, boosts my standing on all these things. So uh, super great. Thank you very much for everybody that's reached out to me and left reviews and, and, uh, and left comments. I really, really appreciate it. Having a great time. We're getting close to Christmas here, so the pace of, of recording has slowed way down for me. Um, but... I'm getting these out as fast as I can. I really like doing this uh, doing this episode today because I love this story of of Jairus and I love the story of the woman with the hemorrhage and and I feel like it's got so much gospel truth just packed right into it and uh, and it was super fun to record. Um, you can reach me at uh, lunchbreakbiblestudy at gmail.com if you have any questions uh, and I hope you have a blessed day. A great world, a